Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain. It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called microlaser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone, permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable visit. It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonobella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. That's sonobello.com slash save. The Exxon Radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. All hit radio. Welcome to the X Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Sounds like she'd be an interesting girlfriend anyway. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talk Star Radio Network. And uh, joining us this hour is another good friend of the Exxon. The first hour tonight, we had Jim Mars with us, talking about his new book entitled um, The Sisterhood of the Rose. And now joining us is another good friend and uh, another author who has a book out. Nick Redfern is joining us uh, from, once again, Texas. Uh, Nick's new book is entitled Contactees, A History of Alien-Human Interaction. And, Nick, welcome back to the X-Zone. How are things in Texas? Hey, Rob. Things are good, thanks. How's it going with you? Well, it's going great, getting ready for Christmas. Um, Mm -hmm. Mind you, you know what? Christmas just isn't isn't what it used to be, you know, when the kids (laughs) were small. and That's right. Yeah, it's... Kind of changes when you get older. It sure does. Coincidentally, I actually only live about forty minutes drive from uh, Jim. 
Oh, really? Yeah, he was on. Yeah, so we, we see each other now and again. He was just on before you. Oh, good. Congratulations on another new book, Contact oh, well, the you. History of Alien uh, Interaction. Uh, all right, what, what have you dug up? What have you found? What are you going to shock the world with this time, Mr. Redfern? <laughs> well, basically, um, Rob, I'm sure a lot of listeners will have heard of the contactees. They mm-hmm. were largely predominantly at their peak in the 1950s, and they were a very controversial bunch of people who claimed to have had face-to-face um, contact with very human-like aliens mm-hmm. at places like uh, desert locations, mountaintops, remote forests, that sort of thing. So we're talking and, like people like uh, George Adamski, going way back yeah, when? Yeah, okay. exactly. George Adamski, George Van Tassel, mm-hmm. all these people who said they'd met long-haired aliens and, you know, took flights in spacecraft and things like this. And, and of course, you know, a lot of people, and in many cases quite rightly, consider some of the contactees to be fantasists, hoaxers, which, you know, personally I think some of them were. But what I found is, as I, as I began to dig into this subject, I've been interested in it for a long time, is that in reality, some of the cases aren't so easy to dismiss. And I actually do believe there's a genuine phenomenon behind the, the whole contactee mystery. It's just a matter of trying to unravel the, you know, the good stories from the bad and look at it, I guess, more than anything else from a, a cultural perspective. You know, this isn't just about UFOs. It's about a, an entire almost like a religious movement that actually profoundly affected you know, thousands of people in America in the 1950s. You know, speaking about uh, Jim Mars, he gave you an endorsement on the front of your book, Nick Redfern, the Brit with a knack for ferreting out all the dope on outrageous subjects, presents a revealing look at alien contact. You and I have to take a commercial break, Nick. Please stand by. Okay. Nick Redfern is our special guest. The name of his new book is Contactees, A History of Alien-Human Interaction. And uh, when we come back from this commercial break, Nick will be joining us to tell us more about alien contactees. one 528 toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. And you can always send an email to xzone at talkstarradio.com on MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. If you'd like to hear the archives, and we've had so many requests for this, that we've actually, we have one, two, three, four, six networks that are now carrying the show. All you have to do is go to www.xzonetv.com. The networks are there. Click on the links. The iPods are there. The podcasts are there. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy life. Tell your friends where they can get them. Download them. We're not charging a darn cent for them because we want the news to get out. We want the people to know about our experts that we have on the show, like Nick Redfern, what he has to say. We want our listeners to know and people to know about the 2012 hoax. We want people to know about UFOs, flying saucers, ghost hauntings, and things that go bump in the night because that's what we do here at the Exxon. We investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology. I'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break with Nick Redfern as we continue live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Talkstar Radio Network. Don't go away. You're listening to the Exxon Radio Show with my good friend, Earthling Rob McConnell, live and around the world. 
on Seven seven five two eight eight two five five is toll free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. Worldwide, one eight hundred six ten seven zero three five. My guest this hour is Nick Redfern, originally from England. Nick Redfern now lives in Dallas, Texas, Metroplex area, with his wife Dana. He is the author of many books on UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, werewolves, the Loch Ness monster, where Rob McConnell found his wife, conspiracy theories, psychic powers, and Hollywood scandals. His, I, I was just kidding about the, where I found my wife, guys. Uh, his titles include the following contactees, Memoirs of a Monster Hunter, a, cover, a Covert Agenda, Strange Secrets, Three Men Seeking Monsters, The FBI Files, Celebrity Secrets, Cosmic Crashes, There's Something in the Woods, Science Fiction Secrets, On the Trail of, uh, of the Saucer Spies, Body Snatchers in the Deserts, and Man Monkey. Nick, always great having you with us. Congratulations on another great book. And uh, well, are, are contactees still happening? Because we, we don't seem to mm-hmm. be hearing the stories that, that were coming out in the 50s and 60s about people mm-hmm. being contacted by aliens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually a good question. I mean, a lot of people, quite rightly, do assume that the, the, the I guess, the golden age of the contactees mm-hmm. was definitely the 50s. And I guess into the early part of the 1960s, when people like George Adamski and George Van Tassel were at their height. However, if you if you look at the subject, we actually still do get contactee-like reports today. I guess many of them have become what, have no, what is known as silent contactees, where the the stories are, I guess you know the equivalent of of those like Adamski, and, and easily parallel them, but where the people really haven't look for that much publicity and that's something that uh, I've discussed in the book is the fact that there are quite a lot of later reports they're just simply I guess stories that have um, you know as as I said just haven't really been brought to the public's attention. Why do you think that is Nick? Well I think part of it at least is because a number of the contactee encounters are very controversial you Mm -hmm. know the idea that these supposed aliens claim to come from planets like Venus, Mars, you know, they look like us. They had titles like Captain and Space Commander, which sounds, you know, like classic uh, 1950s science fiction. Yeah. So. However, when you go throughout history, Nick, there seems to be contactees happening throughout history. For example, are the angels of early biblical times actually mm. ETs? And was Mary, mm. um, when she had uh, the Immaculate Conception, was this an alien-human uh, bonding. Well, you know, this is something, Rob, that I, I point out in the book, is that you can actually find very deep parallels between ancient religious, mm-hmm. um, I guess, meetings with higher beings that very, very closely parallel those of the contactees. For example, you know, you look at the, the locations, desert locations, uh, remote places. Somebody, you know, is, is driven to go to one particular place 
almost in like an altered state and has this encounter with a higher being. Very, very, you know, reminiscent of a lot of biblical books. Mm -hmm. What about cases like Billy Meyer? You know, where, yeah. he, where he has these mm -hmm. the, these photographs, and there there are there are so many people who are coming forward and saying, no, they're hoaxed, we can prove yeah. it. And yet, whenever I see any of the hoaxed pictures, they look mm -hmm. nothing like the photos that, that Meyer's taken. What's your take on him? Yeah, I mean, Meyer's interesting. Like a lot of the contactees, you know, they have as many supporters as they mm -hmm. do have detractors. And, you know, regardless of what people at a personal level think about Billy Meyer, his photographs are pretty impressive. They are. Yep. You know, there's no doubt about that. They don't look like some sort of small, um, you know, object hanging on a string in front of the camera. They actually do look like large objects at a distance. Now, one of the things I point out in the book is that this is something that, I guess, polarizes many people within the UFO community into thinking, well, it's got to be real, or, wow, these are incredible hoaxes. Uh, my personal view is that as far as the contactees are concerned, I'm not personally convinced that they had, I guess, lit literal black and white encounters with human-like extraterrestrials. I think there was some sort of intelligence that was manipulating them and had the ability to potentially appear in this form, to manifest in this form, um, and in the same way that they may well have manifested as angels, fairies, goblins, or whatever in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's more along the lines of trying to get a message across to the human race in a format that is, I guess, suitable and applicable to the people of the time. But I guess this raises the question, Nick, who is doing this and why? Well, yeah, that's the, I guess, you know, the, the million-dollar question. Yeah. Um, I, as I said, I think, unfortunately, one of the reasons why the contact team mystery today is so, I wouldn't say overlooked, but I guess forgotten and ignored, is because most researchers take, I guess, literal views. Some of them certainly do still accept the idea that all the contactees, like Adamski, were contacted by human-like aliens from planets close by. Other people say that's just nonsense, and so they dismiss it as hoaxing. So what I've done in the book is to address all the different theories. Um, you know, were, they, were the encounters literal encounters with extraterrestrials? Was hoaxing a factor? I also dig into quite deeply the idea that some of these people could have been unwitting players in things like U.S. or Russian mind control experimentation to determine if, you know, we can instill belief systems and theories and even scenes in people's minds that may actually have not really taken place. So are we talking Possibly. about something like reversed remote viewing? Well, yes, yeah, something like that in some respects, but also, I mean, literally having people play out parts, mm -hmm. play out roles where they contact, you know, the, the contactees and portray themselves as human-like extraterrestrials, possibly with a view to, I guess, confusing the truth about the real UFO issue and making it look you know, truly bizarre by having all these outrageous contactee claims. So I think it could be a combination of a genuine unknown intelligence that's trying to interact with us, and it does so in a fashion by portraying itself as, you know, in a fashion that's acceptable to us. Equally, I think there's good evidence that some of the contactees were, I guess, the unwitting players in, in mind control operations. 
Nick Redfern is our special guest. Uh, if you'd like more information on Nick or if you'd like to uh, visit his website, it's www.nickredfern.com. That's nickredfern.com. Nick, I'm just going to bring up the timeline a little bit. Let's go to the the mass sighting, and I don't know if this fits into a contactee sighting or not, of the, the Phoenix Lights, where you had thousands of people mm. seeing and reporting to authorities the same thing. And then, you, yeah. then recently we had the sighting in Stevensville. Mm. Yeah, I mean, again, that, that's a good question. I think the important thing about the contactees, which is different to the abductees, is that they, they were very much apparently, allegedly, you know, open mm-hmm. about talking with the people they met with. You know, you look at the, the so-called alien abductions of today. The greys weren't particular or aren't particularly open. You know, it's more of a cold clinical um, medical procedure. Yes. Then the people are, you know, their minds are, I guess, uh, blanked out. You know, memory is taken away and uh, there's no desire on the part of the aliens to even interact with us. Now, that's very different to the situation with the contactees. They, they wanted contact. They wanted their words getting across. And you could argue that some of these more recent big showings of UFOs could be in line with more of a contactee scenario, the idea of, of, of openly showing themselves, um, presenting themselves, not you know hiding by memory blocks and, and things like that, as with the Greys. Could we look at the difference between the, the Space Brothers and the Greys as being the angels and the demons? Mm, well, you know, some people have done that. I point that out in the book, but you know, there is this theory on that some people, quite a few people actually hold the idea that you know, the, the whole UFO phenomenon is very much like a, a, an angelic versus demonic one, you know, mm-hmm. the idea that the quite, you, you're quite right, you know, the idea that the greys are like the demonic evil creatures and the space brothers are the equivalent, modern day equivalent of angels, there's, there's a lot of people who subscribe to that theory and suggest that, you know, the, the incarnation of these things being extraterrestrial is simply a modern day I guess equivalent of 2000 years ago calling themselves angels and demons Mm -hmm. it may well be we don't really know what their real form is Um, my conclusion is that whatever these intelligences are the their role is to I guess provoke change at an individual and collective level and instill different belief systems and ideas now you know, you could look at that from a sinister perspective, the mm-hmm. idea that somebody is presenting themselves as friendly, right. but actually almost, you know, it's almost like a fascist approach of, you know, we're the kindly aliens, but this is what you'll do. Um, so I think that's a possibility. And I also think that comes into play when you look at the government involvement, where they may have actively exploited the UFO mystery as a cover for their own, as I said, things like mind control experiments. To see actually if, you know, the, the mindset of the population or a considerable number of people could be affected by, I guess, putting these stories into the public domain. Mechanisms like HARP that we hear about, the mm. power of HARP, could this be actually a holograph projector that people are mm. seeing holographs or holograms that are, that are being purposely emitted by either the sources within our own government or outside governments to try and use psychological warfare with the with mm. the masses. Well, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because I actually delve into that in the book. One of the things I found was that 
going back and looking at a lot of the original contactee accounts, mm -hmm. you find that many of the original experiences didn't begin with the contactees seeing aliens or UFOs. They began with the, the people seeing what they described as small floating balls of light, anywhere from about the size of a basketball up to large, like a large beach ball or something like that. And it was only after a few moments that these, um, I guess, floating ethereal ghostly lights suddenly began to transform into UFOs. In other words, as if the phenomenon was kind of reacting or responding and, and changing its form mm. to suit you know, the beliefs and subconscious ideas of the, of the participant. And you know, we could reasonably argue that the person was being somehow led to see what they were expecting to see, you know, a classic flying saucer yeah. of, the, of the day. That was Nick, the stand by, old friend. You and I have to take a commercial break. Nick Redfern is our special guest. Always great having Nick with us. www.nickredfern.com. Contactees, a history of alien-human interaction. More on the other side of this break. Don't go away. 911 emergency. Uh, this is a Raja. What? A Raja. You know Raja? No, I don't. Uh, well, they know me down at the police station. Why does that keep beeping like that? It's on a recording. Oh, hey, a recording. That's great. Yeah. I'm, 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 you're not being recorded? Yes, sir. Hey, that's great. I want everybody to hear about me. Pretty soon I'll be world famous. <laughs> that's the truth. Oh, I'm going to Jerusalem pretty soon. God's going to take me his way. A spaceship. <laughs> UFO. You better believe it. They're everywhere. Everybody has seen Millions of people have seen them all around the world. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's right. And I've brought blessed the police officers and the scientists and the ordinary people that talk about these UFOs, so they do exist, and I know all about them. I'm a ufologist. I'm the number one scientist on this planet. Okay. I'm an authority on them. I'm a scientist. Okay. Yeah, you heard of Albert Einstein? No, but I'm going to have to go. I got other images. Well, I can explain it to you. It's problem with relativity. Well, I don't have time to hear Einstein. Oh, I'm very simple. Oh, but it's very simple. E does equal mc squared. That's right. Okay, Emmanuel equals to Messiah. Tell me the second time. It's elementary, my dear Watson. Einstein was a Jew, and I'm a Jew, and very few people in the world understood him. Mm -hmm. That's right. I'm an engineer, I'm an electrician, a plumber, everything. I can do anything. Well, that's wonderful. And I'm the world's greatest entertainer. I'm worth about fifty million dollars a year. <laughs> Elijah, I gotta go now. Okay, okay. God bless you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Nine one one emergency. Uh, this is Elijah. What? Elijah, you know Elijah? No, I don't. Uh, well, they know me down at the police station. Why does that keep beeping like that? It's on a recording. Well, I just got back from Roswell, where the aliens have been. And if you ask the feds the cause, well, they'll only lie again. Now I'm hunted by the gumshoes, and I'm wanted by the cops, cause they think that I might be the guy making circles in the crops. And I know that there's a conspiracy from the voices in my head. Elvis lives, that's clear to me, it's McCartney who is dead. And if the Mars man should come again, take me i will go i will take a trip on their rocket ship god bless the ufo give jfk this message it's the cuban army's fault and i know that dave koresh is alive inside a vault We've seen reports in papers of a guy who knows about 
A car that runs on chewing gum But the Arabs rubbed him out And we loudly warned that America is badly unprepared But the Cold War through, we need something new That can get you good and scared You wonder just who is warning you of conspiracies today We're the ones who fill the rumor mill We are the CIA Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. Nick Redfern is our special guest, www.nickredfern.com. Nick, before we went to the news break at the bottom of the hour, we were talking about the possibility of of mechanisms like HARP actually causing Mm. holograms. And, and, you know, whether it's by the government here, the shadow government or unfriendly governments, could they be, in fact, trying to use the UFO phenomenon as a psychological war tactic? Yeah, that's something I discuss quite deeply in the book. Um, For example, there's a a whole chapter in there on the way in which uh, certain people in U.S. intelligence, for example, were concerned that because some of the contactees were saying their space brother contacts supposedly had, I guess, like almost like communist beliefs and leanings, there was actually a a theory discussed in the official world that, well, you know, could some of these so-called space brothers actually be... Uh, you know, Russian spies posing as aliens, as crazy as it sounds, but, you know, the during the Cold War, certainly the operations and projects did follow some weird paths. Now, of course, today, with technology, uh, technology far more advanced than in the 1950s, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not certainly beyond the uh, realms of possibility or even probability that someone could potentially be creating holograms of UFOs and, you know, to really hammer home the idea that this is something extraterrestrial when it may actually not be. What's the link, Nick, between contactees, space brothers, and the crop circle mystery, if Mm. any? Yeah, well, this is a a weird one. Um, Crop circles, you know, they've been found all around the world, but they are, I suppose, still predominantly a a British Mm -hmm. phenomenon. You know, every summer, a lot of crop circles found in the fields in the uh, south uh, counties of England. And a number of reports have been uh, filed and sightings documented of people who who said they've seen, I guess, like long-haired human-like beings in the crop circles, which, you know, when they've approached them, they don't just look like the average crop circle researcher or tourist. You know, there's things very odd about them. Um, For example, not just the long hair, but in some cases actually sort of appeared and vanished in the blink of an eye. Or, for example, a source has been seen overhead. Things like this. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange scenario, but there are people who have, have gone into crop circles and have had these experiences where, again, like a classic, like a space brother will come up to them and try and impart wisdom and, you know, live your life like this. And this is what the human race needs to do to, I guess, improve itself and, you know, prevent its destruction. And then they'll just vanish in the blink of an eye. So very much like a modern day equivalent of some of these early uh, 50s and 60s cases. When we talk about people like Ademski, Van Tassel, and and, and mm-hmm. others, um, why do the Space Brothers or the extraterrestrials, the Greys, make contact with people like this instead of, and I've asked this question a thousand mm-hmm. times, land in front of the White House, land mm-hmm. on Parliament Hill in Ottawa, and land at Buckingham Palace at the same time? Well, you know, that, that is the big, you know, that's one of the other million-dollar questions. 
Um, admittedly, you know, we're speculating. I think one possibility is that if if we take some of these stories literally, mm -hmm. I think the the common sense and rational answer would be that the the UFO intelligences are concerned that if they land at an open level, at a governmental level, you know, they may well be ta detained, taken into custody and put in isolation. I think if you look at the contactee stories particularly, again, if they're true, what it seems to be the case that the aliens were trying to do was not land and say, you know, take me to your leader in like a classic sci-fi scenario. They're actually trying to provoke change in, in the general public. And, you know, you could argue that going to the government's the worst thing to do because mm -hmm. governments have their own, I guess, their own uh, beliefs and ideas about how society should be run. What they were trying to do, I think, was bypass the government and go direct to the society. But everything um, that I've heard about George Adamski mm -hmm. goes against that theory. In what, what do you mean? In what well, respect? George Adamski was a nobody. No, that, no, that's what I mean. I think the idea was potentially to go to the general public and then, I guess, sort of instill in them the idea that you will be like a new guru oh, yeah, or something. I, I, I to understand, get the word I understand out that, and I, and, I, and I appreciate that, mm -hmm. Nick, but I, what I'm saying is if, if these are intelligent beings who can traverse mm -hmm. the universe, why would they not do their homework and pick somebody mm -hmm. in the public, like Oprah, mm. for example? Who could well, actually know, make point. that difference instead of mm -hmm. George Adamski in the middle of the California desert? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. And, you know, again, it hits home the, like, the unreality of a lot of these cases, which, again, is something I point out in the book, that's one of the characteristics of many of the contactee cases is that they kind of defy common sense. And, and that is one of the key points you just hit home. Um, and if, if there are only one or two of these stories, you know, I think we could dismiss them just as hoaxes, etc., or fantasies. But when you find there's literally thousands and some who, whether people really have never hardly spoken mm -hmm. out at all, if ever, uh, you begin to realize that despite these areas where common sense seems to go out the window, we're still getting these same patterns. It's almost as if some, you know, cosmic force that it's just says, I'm going to pick that person and they're going to be the one to do the job without any sort of rational thinking behind it, which, you know, you would argue that aliens should be rational, but, you know, who knows what goes through the mind of an alien. That's if indeed true. it's aliens, you know, and it isn't some sort of weird psychological operation. Is there any thread psychologically, medically, or physically that, that is common in all the contactees? Well, I mean, the one, certainly the one um, thread more than any other that I've found is that many of the contactee experiences seem to occur in what you might call altered states, um, sometimes where the person was almost, was like waken, awoken from sleep, mm -hmm. you know, and they were in a semi-awake state when the experience began, as if possibly their, you know, the, the sleep state was maybe even manipulated and perhaps they were still in the dream state and seeing something they believe they were seeing wide awake, but actually something was manipulating their actual dream state of mind. Um, others, you know, felt compelled to go out to um, remote locations in the desert and actually felt almost strange as if they were in like a, a state of unreality. So this is something I've found time and again is that 
these these incidents and events don't seem to occur at random where somebody's driving down the road and accidentally comes across a source and then they're invited on board or whatever. It's almost as if the incident is staged for them and they're put into some sort of semi-hypnotic state, which you know might explain some of the stranger aspects of the stories told and the alleged fantastic ships that the people claim to have seen. If it's all stage managed, very carefully stage managed and programmed in an altered state, that could you know pretty much allow for any scenario to develop. And then you've got people like Real from the International Railing mm. Association, who I now believe they have over 60,000 members worldwide. And Real's story parallels Billy Myers. It parallels mm. uh, George Adamski's. Uh, but none of the others have actually said that they've gone to a planet where they've sat mm. down with Jesus and and mm. the others and said that, you know, we are the fathers. We are your fathers. Mm. We are basically the angels. So why is it that in the case of, you know, uh, Real, and, and mm -hmm. to me the, the, the Raelians are a cult, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful mm. form. You've got the people from Heaven's Gate once again, is who are another cult. Why is it that some people take that extra long plunge into the contactee form where others simply stay back? This is something I can't understand because if they were all contacted, shouldn't they all respond the same way? Well, you know, that is true. I, th I think more than anything else, you're quite right in the sense that it is, when it comes to UFOs, it certainly mm -hmm. is the contactee movement that more than any other develops followings. You know, all the people in the contactee field, to some degree, develop followings, whether it was a couple of dozen old ladies in Los Angeles, you know, on a Friday night sure. for meetings, or somebody like George Van Tassel, who in the 50s, at his height, was having audiences of in excess of 10,000 at his conferences every year at Giant Rock, mm -hmm. um, out in the California desert, or as you said, you know, the Raelian movement today, mm -hmm. which has, you know, figures br pretty much approaching six figures, you know, in terms of followings. I think... What it is, at least in some respects, is that the, as I said earlier, the difference between the contactees and abductions and the greys is that there's very much like a human message being got across, which actually, in many ways, isn't that different from religion in the sense that you have someone who is a charismatic leader or person passing on messages from higher beings about how to live your life. And some people who may not feel, I guess, comfortable with mainstream religion do sometimes veer towards a more scientific or alien angle. Um, and there's, there's no doubt about that at all. And I think that's because the, the contactee movement allows for that to happen. It's, it's one of these things which actually mirrors religion very closely in terms of having, as I said, spiritual leaders from somewhere else mm -hmm. and their disciples spreading the word on earth, if you like. So I think that's the reason why it's, it's, it's an appealing thing that allows people to give some sort of meaning to their lives and, and, and join a group, if you like. Nick, there's a lot of talk these days about the end of the Mayan calendar, December mm. 21st, 2012. If this is real, or if the alien contactee movement is real, wouldn't either one of these both confirm the other? For example, wouldn't the contactees be getting the message from the aliens that, hey, it's the end of the world, we've got to get ready for the big spaceships that's going to come and save us? And wouldn't the people in the 2012 movement say, hey, the aliens are also behind this, they're telling us that this is happening? Mm. You're not getting that cross-chatter. 
No, you're right. And I think this is one of the things that makes a lot of people think there's something sinister Mm -hmm. and manipulative about the whole UFO subject and the intelligence that's behind it in the sense that, you know, they come across as very often friendly or at least not overly openly hostile. They tell us stories or predictions that actually don't come true when they should come true. Yeah. Um, You know, and this has actually led to, you know, things like suicides and collapses of, you know, families, marriages, etc. People, you know, invested in money because they thought the world was going to end. Um, And, you know, I think that there's a very good argument for saying that whether it's the Space Brothers, the Greys or whoever, there is a deep aspect of deception involved and manipulation. Now, again, you know, is that because we have literal extraterrestrials amongst us who are portraying themselves as, as, a, as friendly, or could it well be, um, you know, people in the official world using sophisticated mind-altering technology to see and determine how far we can influence the human mind with such, you know, but you see, Nick, messages, and then one day take it to a bigger level? You see, the way I look at it, that last scenario is not possible mm. because of the historical accounts prior to mm. our ability to yeah. to have performed these psychological maneuvers mm. and these psychological exper- psychological yeah. experiments on the people of Earth. Stand by, Nick. You and I have to take a okay. commercial break. We'll be right back. Nick Redfern's our very special guest. I love this guy. www.nickredfern.com. And I'd like to thank the good people at Warwick Associates for helping make this interview possible. www.warwickassociates.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern. Where? Right here on the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the evening news. Let's go now to our field reporter, Ronaldo Riviera. This is Ronaldo Riviera on the banks of the stinky, muddy river with Mr. R.V. Frisbee, who claims to have witnessed something truly fantastic. Mr. Frisbee, could you tell us what you saw? Yeah, I was just hunkered down over there putting a stink wad on my trot line, and the short hairs just stood straight out on the back of my neck, and I turned around, and there's this big orange thing, them purple lights on it, comes so whooping over them pine trees, and just hoovered over the Winnebago there. Hyenas run out and throw the skillet at it, and then she scissored and run back in up on the high of bed. About that time, little Little trap door opened up, little stair steps come down, this little pink bald-headed guy stuck his head out. Now, I seen that movie, Close Encounters. I just walked on over as big as I can, looked up in there, and there he was. There who was? Nick Redfern's my special guest, www.nickredfern.com. Uh, Nick, as always, it's great having you on the show. Congratulations on another great book, X-Zone Nation. This is another Thanks. book we are going to be putting on the X-Zone Christmas list suggestion for you, the X-Zone Nation, this year. And, uh, Nick, what was, your, what was your inspiration for writing this book? Well, you know, I think part of it, at least, uh, Rob, was the fact that you know, ufology and the people, in it, and unfortunately, through no fault of their own, particularly people who are new to it, mm-hmm. don't always have a good 
understanding of, of the early years of the subject. You know, everybody knows about Roswell and Kenneth Arnold, and then for many people, it's like a black hole until yeah. abduction surface and flying triangles and things like that. And I realized that there hadn't really been a full-length treatment and study of the contactees for a very long time, which actually wasn't, you know, just belief-driven, but wasn't hammering over the idea that they were all just outright liars, that it was actually trying to look at it in an open-minded perspective and, and try and look at it rationally. And hopefully, at least, that's what I've tried to do with the book, is present an old mystery in a new light and try and finally put some of these cases to rest and and you know offer theories to what might be have been going on with the contactees. So what what's Nick Redfern up to now that he's uh, done such a great job on the contactees? Well, I'm working on a couple of other books right now. Um one which is a book actually on a, a group within the US government that actively investigated the whole alien abduction phenomenon particularly mm-hmm. in the late 70s, 80s and 90s and which was I guess more like a clandestine Project Blue Book, but solely focused on abductions. I've been chasing them down for a couple of years, and I've got a lot of data. So that book will be out at some point next year. And working on a couple of cryptozoology books, one on Bigfoot and uh, one on a particular area of England where I, where I used to live, um, detailing all the weird creatures in that particular area. So, so I've got a few books I've, I've got to finish in the next few months. Nick, it's always a great pleasure having you on the show. Uh, from our home to yours, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. You too. And um, where can people get copies of your book? Um, well, it's called Contactees, published by New Page, and all the usual good uh, book-selling outlets, both online and, and bookshops as well. Exonation, the name of the book is Contactees, A History of Alien-Human Interaction. Nick Redfern has been our special guest this hour. Visit his website www.nickredfern.com That's www.nickredfern.com Don't forget, Exonation, this Saturday and Sunday, the 21st and the 22nd of November, the father of remote viewing is going to be in Toronto giving a workshop. Russell Targ himself is going to be in Toronto. Two-day lectures, two-day workshop. Limited seating, reservations are needed. No tickets at the door. For more information, www.xzone-radio.com forward slash russelltarg.htm. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break at six and a half minutes past as the X-Zone continues live from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the Talkstar Radio Network. Kroger, we believe it takes the right team to bring you the freshest produce. That's why we partner with farmers who grow only the best. And that level of teamwork means better, fresher options time and time again. Working with farmers is what it takes to be fresh for everyone. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's the big $10 sale. So mix and match and get two, three, four, five, or even 10 for $10 with your card. So many great deals. Kroger, fresh for everyone.
This Memorial Day, get more for your money at Meyer. Grilled tasty burgers with 80% lean ground beef at $1.99 per pound. And Kingsford Twin Pack Original Charcoal for $17.99. Coca-Cola products are buy five, save $5. Plus deposit where applicable. And shop the same low in-store prices using home delivery or pickup. Exclusions apply. Plus, Meyer credit card holders get 10 cents off per gallon at Meyer gas stations. Meyer credit card offers subject to credit approval. Terms and conditions apply. Details at Meyer.com slash credit card. See the deals in the Meyer app. 